0: everyone and welcome to series two of Backchat, a podcast brought to you by Backbench, the largest open platform current affairs blog in the UK. To kick off the new series, I spoke to Backbench editors Lauren White and Mahim Barana about the establishment. We tried to define this slippery entity and decipher the individuals who comprise it, ranging from media moguls to Larry the Cat.
1: Here now with more news, debate and opinion.
0: Hey guys and welcome to Back Chat Series 2. Hey! Hello! So, today we're going to talk about the establishment. While politicians come and go and parties fall in and out of favour, the establishment is always lingering in the background. But what actually is it? According to the Oxford Dictionary, the establishment is the group of powerful people who implement and control policies, ideas, taste, etc. and usually support what has traditionally been accepted. This definition is very broad and leaves the identities of the so-called powerful people open to interpretation. Maheen, what does the establishment mean to you?
2: I think the establishment is really difficult to pin down because it can go all the way from the group of people who are obviously in power within a certain country to kind of imagining a sort of Illuminati-like conspiracy that is, you know, influencing the whole of the world. Uh, But for me, the establishment is the group of very, very wealthy people around whom a lot of society seems to revolve and against whom a lot of society and societal discourse seems to turn. But at the same time, they are untouchable. Like today, there's, there's the news that the 26 wealthiest people in the world have as much wealth in their possession as the poorest 50% of the world. and There is something very much worrying about this kind of symbolic figurehead, which is the establishment. And um, I think people simultaneously feel that they want to be a part of a greater elite, that they want to become wealthy and enfranchised. But at the same time, both left and right wing seems to turn against this idea of the ultra elite. So I don't know what I I think exactly it is, but I think it has something to do with the immense wealth that is concentrated in the hands of a few. So for you, then, the establishment
0: has a global reach. It's not the individual establishments of a a nation
2: state. I think definitely to think that there are, you know, groups of very wealthy people who have connections, not just within their country, but have connections and can put down roots, can, you know, buy up property, buy land, uh, can influence the media just, you know, completely on a global scale. Then I don't think that we can confine the establishment to kind of individual hubs based around geographies.
0: And so, Lauren, who would you say are the powerful people of the establishment? Can we blame the media, whether national or international, big business or even Larry the cat from number 10?
1: (laughs) Um, Well, I definitely wouldn't point the finger at Larry the cat. Um, I think that's more of a case of in the wrong place at the wrong time. Um, I think for me, though, the powerful few of the establishment are basically to me they're just the mega rich and the mega powerful who kind of operate behind the scenes in a way um the first person who comes to mind when i think of the establishment is rupert murdoch actually because of how much of the media he really owns and controls like within the uk and even the us as well and i suppose globally um i wouldn't necessarily put theresa may in the group of the establishment even though she can I think be seen to support the establishment by obviously being the prime minister and being a career politician um but I think I'd actually put them more the likes of George Osborne um, and Philip Hammond who have like a real wide web of connections and while being chancellor have kind of set up things to make themselves benefit or people they know benefit from kind of their policies and stuff that to me is what the establishment is and the people I think behind it as well
0: So you both seem to be clear that the establishment is definitely linked to extreme wealth.
1: Yeah, Yeah. definitely. Wealth is power, I think. So power is therefore the establishment.
2: The opposite to wealth is poverty. And while one group is excessively wealthy, one group and a very large group is excessively poor and they have no influence. There is just this complete extreme on both sides, which is creating an establishment. So uh, while it can be tricky to nail down
0: exactly what it is one thing we can be sure of is that the establishment is not accessible to most people uh, and as we're discussing in fact it's it's integral feature. Why do you think this is?
1: Um, I think I would say a huge part of the reason why the establishment is so inaccessible is a lot of it is actually the geography of it and where it's located because kind of If you look at it, every single thing that if you want to be anyone in politics or journalism or in an industry that is significant in public life, you've basically got to be from the South Um, and the South is literally where everything is all of the 100% of the national news outlets in the UK are based in the South. Obviously, you've got Parliament there, you've got the banks and and the, obviously the civil service and everything, it's all down there. And so if you kind of want to break the glass ceiling of the establishment from someone who's not from the South and who is from like a working class background in particular, you have to go down there. But then when you try and live down South and if you come from the North and it's extremely expensive and And it's the cost of it, I think, uh, for a lot of people now, it's the cost, which is why the establishment and becoming a part of it, or at least kind of trying to dismantle it is so hard and inaccessible to people. Yeah, I would definitely,
2: definitely agree, actually, because I'm from the North, and to live in a place like London, you really are paying rent that is extortionate for very little, and... Unfortunately, I would say that a lot of the establishment, particularly within the UK, falls down to property. Unless you own some sort of mansion outside of the capital to enter into the capital becomes near Mm. impossible. It's a huge asset to pass it down to your children, having a home in London, for example. And I think that's um, very important to remember that that especially in the UK, this is particular to the UK, that home owning is creating a massive gulf. in in our society, compared to societies which are much more rent-focused. Without
0: mentioning the dreaded B word, resistance Uh to the establishment, you know, has been cited as a reason why some people voted leave in the 2016 referendum. Um, I mean, aside from the issue um, that we've kind of already discussed, how has the establishment failed us in recent years?
1: I think particularly from someone who's came from the north, like for as long as I can remember every single time I've talked about politics with anyone with an adult from when I was little it's always just been about how all of the politicians don't care, none of them are interested in anything up here and I think that can be traced back many years particularly I think to like Thatcher's 1980s economy and stuff because in the north we've been repeatedly hit the hardest by every single government policy Um and the primary industry of the mining, of the mines was obviously forced to be closed and when it was closed everyone lost their jobs and everyone's jobs weren't replaced with anything and so ever since then it's kind of been a a snowball and everyone has kind of jumped on this bandwagon of resentment towards politicians and so now if you look at the north we've got no council um, funding to benefit communities which have basically just been left to rot away. We haven't got enough jobs to go around um, in the North, and that's why there's such a high rate of unemployment. And surprisingly, that's got nothing to do with immigration, but everything to do with the fact that the establishment was taking our jobs away and failing to replace them with anything else. And so I think that's kind of why you have the whole resentment towards the establishment, which then resulted in a vote to leave the EU, which might not necessarily be anything about the EU, but it's more about telling the politicians who think that they know best actually know we're going to do something and we're going to take it in our own hands and tell you what we want. Mm.
2: I mean, I'm coming at this from the perspective of somebody who did vote Remain in the the referendum, but I do think there is something increasingly self-destructive about the Brexit proceedings. You know, there is this seduction of a no deal that is currently taking place, and I think people are increasingly enjoying the idea that that we can completely make the the political system go to pot and i don't think that is necessarily as you say something to do with the eu itself i think it is to do with the idea that actually politics has been very very unrepresentative for so long and um that establishment if if you want to call it that needs to have a good sharp shock Now, Um, moving away from Brexit, because (laughs) uh, everybody
0: might be sat there with pillows over their ears, like, no! (laughs) Um, But we can't talk about The Establishment without mentioning Owen Jones. His best-selling 2014 book, The Establishment and How They Get Away With It, details the main figures that he believes unite to push a right-wing agenda. And he's seen as a bit of a divisive figure. And he recently got into a Twitter spat with many prominent journalists, among which were the BBC's Andrew O'Neill, about this tweet. Uh, when one of us on the left is hurt or killed, which will happen, the entire right-wing press and their so-called journalists, who could have chosen to take a job which actually helps people, are all partly responsible and let's put that on record now. Harsh words. Is it fair to label journalists of the so-called right-wing press as part of the establishment?
2: This is quite a dangerous comment to make because currently the country is very polarised and this comment is nothing but polarising. And I think that journalists of the left wing and people who have taken a left wing stance traditionally have a bigger burden because I think left wing politics typically tries to take the moral ground uh, where right wing politics kind of takes the ground of pursuing prosperity, pursuing um, economic growth. But I think the problem with the left always taking this moral or virtuous position is that unfortunately the left is not really that representative of some of the people that it tries to defend. You know, dismissing the right wing and their so-called journalists is very dangerous because you're not just, you're dismissing, you know, a lot of what is consumed by people that you're trying to help with your left-wing policies. And I think it's such a negative way to continue to constantly see everything as a kind of war of identity between left and right. Unfortunately, I think words are more divisive than we've realised, and I think that's what's been seen with Brexit.
1: Yeah, I mean, the whole thing of the right-wing media, when they called um, government Brexit rebels, you know, they said, oh, you're all traitors, and it was all like so sensitive and, and kind of blown right up. I think that kind of language is really dangerous having said that I do think to a certain extent some journalists of the right wing press are part of the establishment and that's, that is just the way it is but I do think it's important not to jump straight in and tar every single one of them with the same brush and this is kind of an interesting point actually because something I've realised because I think I used to be very much on the bandwagon of oh yeah anyone who writes for the Daily Mail or the Sun is a big Tory and you know and they're all part of the establishment they're all working together but actually so I've come to realize when looking for kind of work experience and things is that I, the people who are offering paid internships and things so making journalism more accessible which is a very left-wing thing to do um that's actually more the right-wing press so I've come to the conclusion actually that not everyone who reads for right-wing newspapers or works for supposedly right-wing TV um, channels. I don't think all of them are actually part of the establishment, but actually might just be trying to change the establishment, and that's the one way that they're going to be able to do it.
2: The debate
0: that I saw around Owen Jones's tweet, that's what a lot of journalists were getting really angry about, especially young journalists, because, you know, they were saying Owen Jones has had a very... um, lucky and privileged position since he left oxford and that you know he's been very yeah. successful and he's immediately been able to go on you know and work at the guardian but not everybody has that opportunity and people you know as you say need paid internships and maybe that might be at papers where they don't have the same political yeah you know, perspective uh, and then people were saying you know as you as you've both been suggesting that you know owen jones is a bit out of touch with um not even just the people he's trying to represent but journalism and the industry as a whole
1: yeah i kind of sometimes feel as if he's taken everyone else on um like all of his fellow colleagues just sometimes the way he speaks about journalism it's like he's the only person in journalism who is actually doing it for moral reasons or something yeah,
2: I, I mean, I, I like I like Owen Jones, and I do think he is quite self aware in some respect. He d- always points out that despite going to a state school, he didn't he did come from a more white collar background. I nevertheless think occasionally he does like to be the great polemicist, um, and unfortunately, the time to be incendiary and, and stuff is not when you have a country that is so close to going up in flames. Maybe
0: it's also. Um...
2: A problem with
0: Twitter you know maybe he would have given more nuance to his perspective had he not been uh, crushing it into 44 characters or whatever yeah. it is on Twitter um, but I suppose only Owen Jones could, could yeah, answer that. that.
1: Yeah.
0: We'll have to get him on.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> um, Now an interesting character in the context of the establishment is Corbyn. He presents himself as a very anti-establishment figure. He's a pacifist, he doesn't have a degree, and he's often criticised by the press for dressing scruffily. Um, And is this self-curated image accurate, or is Corbyn actually a member of the establishment like the others?
1: Um, Personally, I think it's quite difficult to argue that Corbyn is part of the establishment. Um, For fear of looking like a Corbynista um I think obviously he's had to conform to some extent as a leader doing things like you know singing the national anthem that he didn't want to do um but I don't think he's radically conformed so I still think that his image as an anti-establishment figure is is true and I think is real um and I think you can definitely find the evidence for it like in his whole political history he's always been voting against his own party's leadership which has obviously come back and haunted him a little bit I think but um I think as well and his, his arrest for protesting against apartheid and everything he's always taken this stance against what is kind of the norm which i perceive to be the establishment so i do think that his image is is right and i don't necessarily think it's it's kind of curated too much that's for sure
2: um i, I find Corbin a very difficult one because um this is where i get all kind of confused with my own views on the establishment because at the same time as I, I think Corbyn was a great backbencher, I'm not sure he's a very good uh, politician. <laughs> which is, which, which in the sense of being kind of at the forefront of his party, um, I think he can do some things really well, um, and I think he can run campaigns that he has com- conviction for very, very well. And I don't think he's so good at the stuff that he doesn't have conviction for. But I think that can be the issue with being a politician: is that and and then this is perhaps playing into the hands of the established- the idea of the establishment. I think there is sometimes a need for compromise um and i'm not I don't think Corbyn's very good at compromising. I'm not entirely sure that Corbyn is the one to take down the, to take down the establishment because I wonder sometimes is he a rebel for the sake of being a rebel? is he an opportunist occasionally which which politicians are often it is It's a very difficult one for me to call
0: so do you think it's possible for politicians to not be a part of the establishment lauren you clearly think that corbyn isn't a part of the establishment but Mm -hmm. generally it's possible for politicians to avoid having that label or getting involved in that way
2: i mean maybe that is what i'm saying maybe that is what i uh, the kind of conclusion i'm coming to that it's very difficult to be a politician be successful at being a politician do actually good things and manage to push through those good things um and manage to have an effect and not be part of the establishment so
0: it's clear that the establishment and the people who comprise it have a lot to answer for but can the problems be fixed
1: i think the problems can definitely be fixed but it's going to take a lot of work to get there um and our fantastic no barriers campaign obviously is aiming to get the people who are not part of the establishment and who actually probably feel quite disenfranchised by the establishment into journalism and these kind of initiatives they do help a lot um and they are great but i, I still think that there has to be a bigger change to fix the problem because at the end of the day this, the same ridiculous number of journalists who went to private school this, I think it's, the statistic is 51% of the top journalists in the UK went to private school, despite the fact that just 7% of the UK population itself goes to private school. I think the whole the whole problem here is that no one is on an equal footing. And so without the equal footing, there's never going to be a complete resolution to the establishment and to the fact that there's such an inequality and, and a lack of representation for the actual majority of people in this country. But I think, obviously, the little small initiatives like we've got a Backbench, which is great, I think they all do serve a purpose and they all will help. It's just a shame that the government or something is is not taking any notice and doing something themselves about it.
2: Yeah, and I, I think actually as well, the, the, the fact that there are so few opportunities for people in journalism if they haven't been to university, with Backbench, we've got a No Barriers campaign at the moment, and um, it's a great it's a great initiative to bring more people from minority and working class backgrounds into journalism and make it more accessible. And I, I personally believe that the more accessible journalism is and, and the more nuanced journalism is, the, the better it can represent our society, not only by featuring a multitude of voices, but by engaging a multitude of voices. And and that is the main problem, that's the problem in politics, and that's the problem in in journalism at the moment, is that only some voices are deemed worthy or, you know, saying the right thing, and all those voices do happen to come from very similar places.
1: Here now, with more news, debate, and opinion.
0: Thanks for listening, guys. You can find out more about Backbench's No Barriers campaign and become a writer yourself by visiting our website, www.bbbench.co.uk. If you enjoyed the episode, it would also really help us if you could rate and review Backchat wherever you get your podcasts, as it helps new listeners find our content. See you next week.